course, you have Kay that's tearing up that. Let's join in a word of prayer together. We thank you, Lord, that in Jesus, you rejected our low opinion of human nature for laying bare our preference for crowns over crosses and for exposing our habits of sacrificing the joy of eternity for the pleasure of a moment. When we behold ourselves in Christ, we cannot but exclaim that you have made us little less than God and crowned us with the glory and honor of who you are. But when we look away from Christ to ourselves, we behold a very different creature. We see a king shamelessly pursuing his ambitions, ignoring the traditions of his people to build a great temple. We discover that enemy we most have to fear is the enemy within. Then our hearts we lurk to break your greatest command to love you with all of our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So help us, Lord. So to fix our hearts upon Christ, that the good we would do and the evil we would not do, we do. God, our towns are full of people who are the flocks of your sheep like sheep without a shepherd. So lead us out into the fields to be the great shepherds of this community. Through your leadership, may we be your eyes and ears, your hands and your feet of goodness and grace and love and mercy. All these things we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, if you were to ask me the top 20 places I would want to eat in Baton Rouge, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that Golden Corral would not be in the top 1,000 places that I would go. Yes, the, the food options are endless. Yes, there are yeast rolls dance on your tongue with greatness. But if you stop and really think about it, you go to that chocolate fountain that that little kid dipped his marshmallow in, took a bite, and then dipped it back in again. Their food is 50% oil and 50% food, which is a great way to stay frequent. But alas, this is not a foodie's critique of hopefully nobody's favorite place out here. And I just ruined our relationship in one false swoop. But a story. So I don't know if you notice, if you travel much, Golden Corrals all over the country are uh, renovating their facilities. Or oftentimes they're actually closing down one facility just to go right down the road and build another one. In my wife's hometown of Wilson, North Carolina, they closed one store, and literally less than a quarter of a mile away, they built a brand new Golden Corral. But to the surprise of the franchise owners, the sales aren't going up. They thought by renovating and changing their facility, all of a sudden it would bring new people in. And it's chuckle when you, when you stop and think about it, it's something to chuckle about, because building a new building, one hop, skip, and a jump down the road when you're not actually changing the content of what you're actually serving. So while the outside has changed, the inside, the, the content and quality of their food is cheap and unhealthy, overly salty and buttery. More importantly, you've done nothing for your customers except give them a fancy new carpet to look at 
as you slowly kill their bodies from the inside out. Strangely enough, this is oftentimes the way that the church can be. All too often, churches will upgrade their websites, their logos, maybe even change their vision statement, transform their buildings. The hope at the heart of it is that people will see that we're this new thing in town. So check out our new programs, our contemporary worship, our contemplative worship, our experiential worship. We still do traditional worship. Oh, check out our gospel worship. We're now on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and Snapchat. Download our podcast. Watch our feed on YouTube. Oh, we've got a Starbucks now. We've got a hip new youth minister now. And the changes that these churches often make are to the exterior. But there's no depth and intentionality and conviction about what's being lived out. So if your church relationships are toxic, if the worship is flat and meaningless, if the discipleship is shallow and ministry is a glorified feel-good charity about ourselves, then we can upgrade the facilities all that we want if there is no character and purposefulness of what we do. For far too many churches, we've taken this approach for the last 50 years. If we build it, they will come. And so churches built, and they built, and they built. We built with the mentality of people like to work out in the town, so we should build a gym, and people come to the gym. People like coffee. We should build a coffee shop for people to come. And if we pause and really think about it, we're just adding one more thing to the busiest culture that's ever walked the face of the earth. And don't get me wrong, it worked for a time. Except life adapts. We find new ventures to fill our time. As a result, church can often be frustrated and demand that people will change their schedules to put God at the forefront of who they are. But the church can wave its hands and shout at the community, or it can take a step and rethink its assumptions. What's ironic is that I knew this going eight years into a, a church start, yet we kept creating opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And please don't misunderstand me. What we do as a church matters. Building and creating opportunities for people to engage the love of Christ, to grow in Christ, to worship Christ, to go and connect deeper in community together matters. So what I'm not suggesting is that the church get rid of all the things that we do, not just church local, but church universal, but we consider how we are engaging the community around us. And for this, I want us to take a look at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 13. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been working through a, a series called The Peculiarities of UBC. We've been looking at why we think critically, live creatively, and love continually. What makes us uncommon and distinct? And last week, we began this conversation about what it means to live creatively by looking at the fact that the kingdom of God is within and among us. And the power of the kingdom drives us to innovation, drives us to creativity, drives us to engage our community. So let's take this concept a little bit deeper by looking at how Jesus interacted with the world. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. It says, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along the way, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, 
Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. I'm a little confused. Let's just pause for just a second. Jesus is hanging out with a tax collector? Weren't they the scum of the earth of Jesus' day? No one likes taxes except the IRS. And I'm pretty sure people who work for the IRS don't even like taxes. No one in Jesus' culture would have liked a tax collector because these were the people who were empowered by Rome to collect taxes for them. And because they had the threat and power of Rome at the very tip of their tongue, they took a little extra on the side for themselves. And so the poor were constantly ravished by the tax collectors. So Jesus is hanging out with the most despicable man in his culture. And for Jesus, there was no person or place that was out of bounds. Jesus was where he thought his love would be the most effective. Therefore, Jesus found himself with the so-called sinners, with the diseased, the outcast, the most hated people of his day. Jesus did not expect people to come to him, but Jesus went to where people were, to the tax collector's booth, to their homes, to the community of lepers, to the outcast layers, to the impoverished towns. Jesus went to anyone and anywhere because that is how the radical love of God exists. Jesus showed the radical love of God by the way that he persistently broke bread with the so-called sinners, touched the lives of the sick, and healed the lives of the broken. If you were a prostitute, you were not out of bounds for the love of God. Leprous and bleeding, you were not too disgusting for Jesus. Blind and lame and useless to society, you were profoundly worth the kingdom of God. With this indescribable love, Jesus overcame all social and religious, and political, and ethical, and man-made boundaries. Because that's God's love. It's immovable. It's healing. It's transcendent. Transcendent love. That's really the best way to describe God's love. It goes beyond the ordinary limits. It's surpassing. It's exceeding. It goes beyond understanding. It goes beyond universe and time. It's from eternity to eternity. And this fantastic moment, this Beautiful moment is all but ruined by the religious people. Religious people ruin everything because they take the love of God and they push it to the side because, well, they've got a law, they've got a command, they've got a religious rule and regulation that we need to smack down on someone so they will simply bend their lives to God's will. And so the religious people... Why would Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Their arrogance, their smugness, their self-righteousness is just spewing from their lips. The most ridiculous thing about these men is they should know better. These were the pastors of Jesus' day. They were there to care for the people, to lead the people in worship, to pray with the people. I wouldn't want these people to be my pastor. Would you? Their righteousness covers over the love of God, or that's their attempt. By their words and their actions, they contrast and compare with Jesus. And Jesus teaches us something fabulous about ministry. This story, the story of Jesus venturing across the Sea of Galilee to heal one demon-possessed man, the story of Jesus 
putting his teaching to the side to heal a broken man lowered right in front of him, the Samaritan woman at the well, the story of Jesus healing the man at the pool of Bethesda, again and again, Jesus teaches us something radical about ministry. Ministry is not about preaching a hellfire sermon to the masses and standing with our stones ready at hand to break the skin of the so-called sinners of our day. It's not about overlooking an individual who needs God's love because you are so fixed on some sort of greater ideal of what really matters. Ministry is not about being right all the time and having our opinions heard. It's not about carrying ourselves in the world like we are God's gift of holiness and righteousness as we are God's presence wherever we go. It is not about programs, beautiful buildings that God is calling us to, but relational ministry. Jesus was a relational pastor. Jesus was radically present in people's lives. He listened to their stories. He lifted their burdens. He healed their brokenness. Jesus was not from a pulpit or a sanctuary, but in the day-to-day, sitting down around people's tables and going to where people were, that's how Jesus transformed people's lives. Jesus calls us to follow him, to love him, and to love the world means that we follow in his presence as we are the presence of Christ in the world. The church often tries to come up with these easy and trendy ways to encourage members to invite people to church. Take, for example, this thing called National Back to Church Sunday. Have you seen this before? It started back in 2008. Organization began to market themselves as the so-called Back to Church Sunday where Christians would invite everyone in America back to church for some special worship gathering. This all came from one person who claimed that 82% of unchurched people will attend worship if you simply invite them and only 2% of Christians in the world invite someone to church. I'm not making fun of the desires of people to bring people to the loving community of God, but there's some major theological issues with this initiative. For one, it gets to this idea, if you come to us mentality of the church, as if people who are not part of a church culture are going to say, you know what, I'm going to join a bunch of strange people that I don't know and participate in a bunch of strange religious rituals that I have no idea about. Oh, I definitely won't freak out when you start singing songs about the blood of the lamb. What is that all about? Why would you sing about the blood of a lamb? Even the wording, National Back to Church Sunday, draws in the assumption that people were there in the first place, beckoning back to a day and age where we thought that everyone was a member of a church. In addition, it gets back to this old adage that if we just preach to people, they will change. This initiative also perpetuates Jesus' followers into the lazy ministry that we have come accustomed to. All I have to do is invite someone to church. You mean I don't actually have to invest in people's lives, truly love them for the sake of loving them, and not for some crazy motivation that I will change them to be who I want them to be? Oh, yeah, I'll sign up for that. Let me make a list of my ten most sinful friends in the world. But ministry, we see in Jesus, is this life and love-giving relationship. It wasn't a gimmick. It wasn't a bait-and-switch ministry. If we're honest, what is the best way to engage people is to engage them in real life, not in a Sunday morning worship setting. 
It's in the day-in, day-out living of the radical love of God in people's lives that brings about transformation. This radical shift in understanding of ministry has to begin with the way that we truly experience and reciprocate the love of God. Stop and think about just for a second. How have you felt the radical love of God in your life? How then do you begin to reciprocate that? How do you allow God's love to empower you to go out to the community, to be a person of love? This love of God that God so graciously pours out in our life so that we might pour into others' lives. God is defined as love. The Bible also told us that we are made in the image of God. So therefore this assumption that we have to learn compassion is a lie. If we're born in the image of God, therefore we are born a people of compassion and grace and mercy. Being too busy, being judgmental is a learned trait. We are called to be the radical love of God in this community. As the great Richard Rohr wrote in Falling Upward, most of us were taught that God would love us if and when we change. In fact, God loves you so that you can change. What empowers change, what makes you desirous of change, is the experience of love. It is that inerrant experience of love that becomes the engine of change. Until we learn to love others as ourselves, it's difficult to blame broken people who desperately try to affirm themselves when no one else will. You see, when we're talking about love, we're not talking about this surface love for other people. We're talking about the transcendent love that we see in Christ. It goes beyond the ordinary limits. It exceeds all conventional expectations. Jesus talked about this when he, when he said, If someone forces you to walk one mile, walk with them two also. If someone asks for your shirt, give them your cloak as well. This is why we see the early church literally selling all their possessions and their homes to give to those who are in need. Do you love others transcendently? If a friend calls you up at 2 a.m. with an emergency, are you being transcendent by getting out of bed and going and helping them in their need? Being transcendent is radically loving people in the way that Jesus showed us by breaking bread with the so-called sinners of our day, touching the lives of the sick and healing the lives of the broken. And since God's love is so profoundly beautiful, our prayer is that our love will be profoundly beautiful towards other people. In my last ministry setting, we tried to convey to anyone who would ever encounter our church community by putting out a statement to make it abundantly clear. This statement we wrote says this, With compassionate hospitality, we extend a special welcome to those who feel like they are screws-ups, those who feel that they don't see their own flaws, the round and the super skinny, the rich and the poor, the middle class, the tattooed and pierced, the self-righteous and the self-loathing, the homeless, the soccer moms, the antithesis of soccer moms, NASCAR-loving people and those who have better things to do than watch stock cars make left-hand turns for five hours, if you have crying newborn babies, a broken heart, or a need of a safe space, you are welcome here. We offer special welcome to those who could use a prayer right now. Had religion shoved down their throat as a kid, got lost in traffic, and wound up here by mistake, we welcome tourists, seekers, doubters, bleeding hearts, and yes, even you and me. This is transcendent love. What does that look like? How do we live this out? 
You see, this relational presence of Jesus, we must be intentional. As the great Henry Nouwen put it with these beautiful words, more and more the desire grows within me to simply walk around, to greet people, to enter their homes, to sit down on their doorsteps, to play ball, to throw water, and to be known as someone who wants to live with them. It's a privilege to have the time to practice the simple ministry of presence. Still, it's not as simple as it seems. My own desire to be useful To do something significant, to be a part of some impressive project is so strong that soon my time is taken up with meetings, conferences, study groups, and workshops that prevent me from walking the streets. It's difficult not to have a plan, not to organize people around an urgent cause, and not to feel that you are working towards direct social progress, but I wonder more and more if the first thing shouldn't be to know people by their name, to eat and drink with them, to listen to their stories, and to tell your own, and to let them know with words and handshakes and hugs that you don't simply just like them, but you truly love them. You see, relational ministry is messy. It requires our time and energy and a dramatic shift in our priorities. It means that the words that we say, the places that we go, the things that we do, the priorities of our life, the perspectives that we hold, the relationships we have, must be intentionally centered on the kingdom of God. Think about what would happen if you invested in people, one at a time, face to face, story by story. Think about each day, each encounter, each conversation as an opportunity not to cram the message of God down people's throat, but to show people with your life the radiant grace and love and mercy of God. I call this being wholly available. Being wholly available means that we have intentionally cut out the things in our life that make us so busy, so focused on what we're doing that we don't know the names of the people and the stories that are around us. Being wholly available means that we truly care about people's lives, listening to their stories, sharing in their joys and sorrows, and interweaving our life with theirs. When you can invest yourself in others' lives, you truly are the most effective marketing tool for the kingdom of God. Not a church program, not a church building, not even a worship service. So I challenge you not to just think first of inviting someone to Sunday morning, but invite someone into your home. Take someone out to coffee. Go to a a ball game together. Be intentional about how you interact with others as the relational presence of God. I want to show you an image up here. Um, This is the Church of the Valley. Most of us grew up in the Church of the Valley because at the Church of the Valley, we literally were born into the church. We were maybe christened into the church or dedicated into the church. We grew up in the church. We received our education in the church. We maybe even met that special someone in the church that then broke our heart and then we realized that wasn't our first special someone. It was down the road, actually. We got married in the church. And maybe we had our children in the church. And then when it came time for us to die, we were laid to rest in the church. That's the kind of church that most of us grew up in. The Church of the Valley where everything, commerce, business, politics, everything about the society around us centered around the church. But the thing is, we no longer live in the Church of the Valley. We live with the church on the side of the hill. 
See, people are passing on their way as they're doing everything else in life. Going into the town for education, for marriage, for festivals, for sickness, for crisis, for death. And for far too long, the church has stood on the side of the hill, waving its hands and screaming, if you would just come inside, we can tell you everything you need to know. So the church has a choice. We can stay the church of the hill, or we can walk out the doors of the church and go into our town to be the radical presence of Christ and the world around us. The world has changed. Therefore, how we engage the world must shift. So what do we do? Start going around telling people just how much we love them? What does this look like? How do we live this out? Do we put together all the most wonderful programs and events? Do we pipe people to worship on Sunday morning? What's the answer? Are we beginning to realize that it's not in the creation of something new that we have to be the people of God but that each of us are called to be the presence of Christ in this world. Instead of changing the way that we look at our time and adding things to our time, this is an invitation for us to rethink how we use the things that we already do. This paradigm shift is away from adding to repurposing of what we already do. Where the church has created and invited people to in the past, this shift brings an understanding that the church is where we gather to be raised up in Christ and go out into the community to be the presence of Christ. For the last two decades I've served in ministry, I've been told countless times that ministering to the community is so difficult. It's so demanding of our time and our jobs. But what if Christ is inviting us to just simply be who we are and be intentional presence of Christ in the world around us? For every profound miracle we read about Jesus... Jesus also radically transformed people's lives by simply breaking bread with others. Everyone likes to eat, both the righteous and the unrighteous. So think about this. How can you be the presence of Christ as you break bread with others? The act of sharing a meal with others removes all barriers, all social and religious and political barriers to have a time and place of conversation of simply being present. We all have things that we enjoy doing whether it's woodworking or smoking meat or reading a book or watching a favorite show or cultivating a garden or, I don't know, maybe you're weird, you like weaving cat hairs into small little sweaters. I don't, there could be somebody out there. Someone out there was like, I'm found. Someone found me. <laughs> Please knit me one, if that's what you do. Please? Please? But stop and think about what gives you life and fulfillment. How can you begin to use those things to be the presence of Christ and finding other people who enjoy doing those things and begin to interweave your lives together by simply finding the things we enjoy doing and doing them together. Being the transformational presence of Christ doesn't always happen to happen in, in preaching the most well-crafted uh, sermon or memorizing all the scripted plan of salvation, but simply cooking a meal with others, engaging in the art of craft brewery or learning languages with others or playing a round of golf with people. 
And so engaging in these common interests, we are open to these relationships of mutual trust and respect. No one is asking you to prepare uh, for some catchy questions or a diatribe about why you should follow Christ, but with your life, you are being the presence of Christ. You are being the presence of love and grace and mercy. So connecting deeply with others and community matters. So here's my challenge to you. Allow the Spirit of God to elevate the magnitude of the most natural way to be Jesus to others. Find ways to create community and serve others by intentionally being present in everyday activities that you already do. Now consider how you can repurpose these things to connect deeply with others in community. What would it look like to invite others into your life and you into theirs? This feels real. It doesn't feel like a bait-and-switch ministry. It's not a gimmick. It's purely loving people and engaging life with others. This seemed to work for Jesus, who modeled it to us. Engaging people where they are and for who they are builds strong mutual bond of respect and trust and compassion. All of these things are what authentic and genuine community are made of. So the church will have to change its mindset. We'll have to begin to think about how we use our time, how we use our efforts. But yet somehow these costs of difficulty outweigh meeting people where they are with real and authentic community. So, are we willing to make life simpler? Are we willing to stop adding to our busyness, stop adding to our schedules? And are we ready and willing to discover that the kingdom of God is a life-giving, real thing within us? May we live creatively as the presence of Jesus in Baton Rouge. Let's pray together. God, in the silence of this time, we invite you to speak to us. God, for many of us, and I will put myself at the forefront of this, we have far too long depended on the church to be the presence of Christ in the community, the church as a building and as an event, as a program, when this whole time you have been calling us to go. So may your spirit empower us with strength and courage and faith as small as a mustard seed to do great things for the kingdom. May we choose to live creatively with the giftedness and talents and strengths and passions and interests that you have given us. May we choose to go and be your presence in this world. It's going to be messy. It's going to be difficult but we know that the kingdom of God is within and among us. Your spirit empowers us to live into a new way of being the church in this community. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.